from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. Hey, if it's Thursday at noon, call us now at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives right here in Philadelphia. Also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And we are here with the dream team in studio, Michelle and Dion. And um, it was Michelle's birthday over the weekend. So if you give us a call, be sure to wish her a happy belated. 844-Wharton-844-942-7866. We're taking your calls right now on Career Talk. And we'd love to hear from you. So hey, Have you ever dreamed of doing something radically different in your career, perhaps making the leap from your day job to follow a lifelong dream? Well, today's guest did just that. He made that big leap, and further, he wrote a book about how you can do it, too. Mike Lewis is the founder and CEO of When to Jump, a global community featuring the individual stories and ideas related to leaving an uncomfortable job to pursue a passion. In January 2018, Mike launched his book, When to Jump If the Job You Have Isn't the Life You Want, which features over 40 stories with guidance around how to pursue your passion. Welcome to Career Talk, Mike. Well, thanks so much for having me, John. It's great to be on. Yeah, so I love this topic. You and I have spoken. I mean, switching careers is something that, that's somewhat of a of a, a definite interest from, for me. So when I heard about your book, I definitely had to run out and read it. And there are so many inspiring stories about people who've made these leaps in, in a variety of ways. So, I mean, you have stories about mechanical engineers who are now fitness gurus and technology individuals who went to, to paint and lawyers who are firefighters. But you have also made this kind of leap. So so tell us a little bit about your leap and what inspired you to write this book, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's funny, and, and thanks again for having me on. Love your show and, and love how interactive and, and informal it is, and while also getting you know real messages around uh, you know career transformation and professional development through the, through the listeners. So a treat to be on. You know, to be honest, um, this came out of my own uh, internal struggle to figure out what I wanted to do with my professional life. Uh, and really, how to respond to a little voice in my head. So I grew up in Southern California. I discovered the sport of squash, which uh, is somewhat uh, known in parts of the U.S. It's more visible abroad. But in the, in the tiny beach town that my family moved to when I was 14, there was only a few squash courts within probably 100 miles or so from our hometown. And they happened to be down the street from where we moved. I fell in love with the sport, squashes a bit like racquetball, you play one other person, it's it's indoors. And I just thought it'd be so neat because by virtue of the fact that it was a global sport, if I could get good enough, I could travel and maybe, you know, compete on a global level and see the world. And when I was 14, a professional squash player, yes, they do exist, uh, was traveling through town, stayed at my house, our family hosted him for a few days. And he told me just that. He said, you know, this is a sport that you can play at a high level. It can open new doors for you. You really encouraged me to go forward with it. The only problem is, as you know, there's kind of a, a linear staircase we take with our lives and certainly with our, our educational and career tracks, or at least traditionally we have. And for me, that meant finishing high school and going to college and taking a summer job. And if I was lucky, studying abroad or, or doing an internship that was interesting while in college, my parents were from the generation where if you could get a job out of school, you, you grab it, you take it, and, and you ride that into the sunset. Um, and so I was working 10 years after uh, hosting that squash player as, uh, as a young professional at Bain Capital, the global private equity and venture capital firm. I was in their venture capital group, Bain Capital Ventures, and I loved it. I, I really enjoyed the work. I could actually still see myself doing it again someday. But there, there was a little voice, like I said, uh, that that told me of of this dream that wouldn't go away. Which was- and and I have to, to jump in there, Mike, because I'm just going to say like that that is the dream job for a lot of our our students here at Wharton to be in venture capital. So so you had the dream job, which 
you you then decided to leave. And so I, I want to point that out because obviously this is this is you know not just about changing careers. This is about making a leap of faith. This is yeah, about ab- <laughs> some yeah. yeah. Absolutely no. I, I mean I felt like I won the lottery by getting the job at Bank Capital. I always want to work with entrepreneurs. Obviously, folks, I get to go to school at Gordon. You know that that sets you up for for so many different opportunities. And venture capital is one that I thought, uh, you know, if, if I was lucky to go to a place like Gordon, I would be, I'd get to go to after school. And so to find that opportunity out of undergrad, and I think I was one of two folks that was taken. I think the other person was a Gordon grad actually uh, into the analyst program, and it was two of us. And there was a stack of resumes. I remember being sure the thousands of folks who applied who didn't get the job. And I just knew that, you know, I'm a, I work hard. I think I'm a pretty bright guy, but I'm not the smartest person in the world. There's going to be other people that are smarter that work just as hard. And so I felt that I was really, you know, I, I landed the lottery pitch. I, this, was, this was supposed to be it. And like I said, I was going to work every day, enjoying work. But in the back of my mind, this idea of traveling the world, playing squash and chasing out and living out this dream on a personal level it was never going to go away. So I started collecting stories really to convince myself that here were other people that had left something comfortable to pursue what they cared about. And like you said, the stories started to just pour in. It wasn't someone who just left finance to go play squash. I knew that that was a very privileged and rare kind of an odd situation. What I was finding was people in business school or, or, or even undergrad and taking one path until they decided – I'm going to use these skills and transform into something totally different. And that is where the book and the platform came from. So, so yeah, I want to kind of like dissect everything you just you just talked about, because there's so much good stuff in there. And so many people are thinking about, hey, I have a pretty good job. It's comfortable. I get a regular paycheck. But you have that voice inside your head that that keeps nagging you. And you, you wake up and you're like, oh, I really want to do that. Or you see something on TV or you see somebody doing something that that's a, a real passion. And you have this thing in the book called the jump curve. And that's kind of stage one is listening to that voice in your head. So I want to talk a little bit about that. But I'm going to also invite people. If you have a question or you've thought about Oh, is it time for me to make this leap and, and do what I've really dreamed of doing? We want to hear from you, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or maybe you've done that <laughs> and you want to share how you've done that with listeners. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Mike Lewis, who wrote the book, When to Jump, talking about how you know when it's time to leap. So you have this this jump curve, which is listening to that voice in your head, Mike. But when you when you think about that, you talked about having a, a parents who have said, "Hey, you've got this great job. You want to have something to to fall back on." And we hear this a lot. I mean, especially people who go to school and come out and they take these very traditional jobs. And something you you wrote in your book that I want to call out is you say haters will hate and your parents may cry when you make the decision to make this leap. Tell us about what that means. So I think it's never about just the person who makes the decision to change a career or make a a, a new decision around their job and their life. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. But, you know, for me, I knew that what I did was easy to explain to other people it sounded nice when my parents ran into their friends. It was digestible. You could put it on a resume. You know, working in finance, in venture capital, just all kind of checked boxes. And so for me, the idea of giving all that up and going against perhaps the, the, you know, the stated or unstated wishes of my parents, if I was going to do that, I needed to be really smart about it. And not just for my parents, but for me. And I remember... You know, the, the book actually starts with a conversation that I had with a mentor of mine. And I said to him right before I left, to, uh, we were having coffee. I was about to leave our little coffee chat to go tell Bain I was quitting to go play professional squash. And I said to this friend, I said, Scott, is this crazy? And he said, it's absolutely crazy. But there's a difference between crazy and stupid. And that's the theme of the book. And that's where this jump curve comes in, because I think if you look around social media and on uh, LinkedIn and, and Google, what you find is a lot of stuff around the idea of chasing a dream, but you don't see what it looks like in the middle. That middle area that you say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do what I love. What does it look like? 
And in the book, I sketch out the four phases that I feel anyone will go through when they prepare to make a jump. And this comes from the hundreds, if not the thousands of conversations I've had in the five years since I started working on this project. And so for me, there is a difference between crazy and stupid. And it's, it's being able to say, I've listened to that voice in my head. That's phase one. I've made a plan, which is phase two. And in that section, we talk about the financial planning, sewing a safety net, creating what I call pre-jump practice, which means practicing what you're going to go do before you actually leave the thing you do to go do it. Yeah, I want to talk about that for a second, because I think it can be very tempting to look at the life of somebody who's, for example, playing professional squash or you know, doing some of these other things that the, the jumpers in your book have switched to, like being a teacher and then going to being a, st- a ski instructor or a bond trader to a photographer. But I think there's something about your story that, that people need to know. I mean, you, you lived out of a duffel bag. You couch surfed. You, you gave up a lot to pursue this, this type of career. So you went from a very comfortable paycheck to making a significant change in your life. So how can people know, Mike, that those, all of those intangibles that come with the, the leap are going to fit their life once they get there? That's a great question. I think that goes to that phase two, which, like I said, the three parts is, you know, you, you got to save up. You have to save up enough to give yourself a shot to actually take that risk. Um, let's say you want to become a painter and open a paint shop. You probably should save up enough money that you go and jump into the paint shop. You've got some runway to see if it works. But before you even do that, the other piece of this section is the pre-jump practice. I tell folks all the time, uh, you know, say, well, I'd love to be a painter. I just don't know if I'd like it. And what I'd say is, <clears throat> and it's, there's actually a story of some, a gentleman who started a Harpoon Brewery. I don't know if you know how to their beers, but they're based in Boston. And he worked in finance, actually, as well. And you know what he did? His career change. He was thinking about being a professor. He was thinking about moving to another area of finance, and he also was interested in beer. And what he did was he, he shabbed a beer maker. He talked to people in the restaurant industry. He sat in on kind of small business operations classes. He starts to learn the finances of launching a business. He also what it would be like to be a professor and to go down the academic route. And also even at the third kind of, you know, stool, uh, like a stool, he looked at what it was like in other jobs if you were to change. And so by researching and going as far as he could in these other pursuits while he still worked at his current job, he was able to see what the realities were like because he said, it's, so it's not all roses and daisies when you actually take the jump, and you have to know that. Yeah, it's testing the market, and it's it's seeing, is this really, does this really fit me when I go into it? Because I think one of the things we talk about on this show a lot is, you know, I've never liked the term follow your passion, because yes, of course, you have to be interested in what you do, and you have to be motivated to do the work you do, but sometimes something that's a passion, whether that's playing squash or painting or writing, becomes very burdensome once you have to use it to earn a paycheck, or once you realize that in your case that, you know, I think you write about in your book, you had like one pair of khakis that, that lasted you for weeks and you, you'd stay on people's couches. And so you're, you're doing what you love day to day and you're getting to see the world and the globe. But there are certain things about your lifestyle that you had to give up to do those. And I think that thinking about those trade-offs and experiencing perhaps those trade-offs before you make the leap, which is the second step of your jump curve, which is making this plan, is really critical because you may decide that, hey, you know what? I, I actually really enjoy this more as a hobby. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. we got Dream Team in studio taking your calls right now at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You can also tweet at Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Mike Lewis, who is the author of When to Jump, and we're talking all about how you know when it's time to make that leap to follow your dreams. So we're talking about the jump curve, and we're talking about how to sort of dip your toe in the water, Mike, which is kind of what I hear you saying, and and see, is this really for me? And have you, I know you've interviewed hundreds of people. Have you interviewed people who have said, you know what, once I kind of dipped my toe in the water and started making this plan and looked at some of the sacrifices that I realized this isn't for me, this isn't what I thought it would be? Yeah, so the baker's conundrum, because it's a lot of people who, who bring up the idea of starting a bakery, that end up just, you know what, that's actually not the life that I want. And that's the whole point of this book, is it's not to say jump 
in a 180-degree way, change everything about your life, and you'll be happy because I think the world doesn't need another book like that. You actually said it's a little bit contrived to say follow your passion because you're right. Some passions are best done as side jumps or lifestyle jumps. And so in the case of the bakery, what I've seen are folks that say, I love to bake. I love to host people. I love to make people happy. I love food. And they think, well, maybe I want to be a baker. And when they do the research, they actually start to shadow their local baker. They start to look up how you start a business. They, they think about recipes and what the day-to-day looks like. It's actually a pretty tough and sometimes, or maybe most times, miserable pursuit if you're not willing to wake up at 3 to start baking and go to bed at 7 o'clock and maybe not see your family because you got to get back up at 3.30 to bake some more. And so that's an example, I think, of something that might seem good on paper. It might be nice on a glossed-over photo of a beautiful bunt cake on Instagram, but there's a story and a career behind there and a certain sense of reality that you need to understand. And, and there's a great story in the book on this. There's a woman who loved cooking. She left a retail analytics job at The Gap and went into uh, the back of a, of a kitchen at a really nice restaurant in California. And it, was, it was awful. She thought, never what I want to do. This is, this is a long jump, right? So she jumped back and had a similar job working in retail for another big company. Um, but she looked at her experience that didn't work. She said, what did I like about that? And she found that she fell in love with cheese. And she really liked the idea of selling cheese at retail, cheese. but not necessarily a massive restaurant working in a kitchen. And so she planned her jump skills at her new job in corporate America that would prepare her to predict inventory, to prepare sales metrics, to think about costs and revenues, all this stuff. And then she jumped again, and she now has, I think she's been in business over five, six years, has a second cheese shop open in the area, and really enjoys that job because she knew what it would take. And she went out and visited the dairy farmers and the cheese shops to know what that life would look like before she jumped again. Right. And I, I think the reason why I'm so um, attracted to your book, because because there's the, the the baseline of it is hope and the baseline of it is is courage and the fact that we have we have one life to live and we get to choose what we want to do. And yes, societal norms and maybe our family or our parents or, you know, our upbringing and culture and, and obviously people need money and health care. And there's a lot of factors that need to go into this decision making, Mike. But I, I feel like, you know, I, as I wrote my book, Switchers, is that people can be happier. And I think we create these, these cells, these jail cells in our own mind about I can't give this up or I can't make less money or I can't disappoint my parents or I can't do these things. And life goes by and you find up you wake up 20 years later in a job and in your case, a job that was great, but not what you wanted to do. And you've reinvented yourself now, you know, three times. You, you've been at Bain as an investor. You, you've been professional squash player. And now you've created this when to jump empire where you're helping other people learn to take the steps to decide if a jump is right for them. And I think that's the power that I love about your book is because it gives us all the hope as well as the stories and the the steps and inspiration to be able to take that leap ourselves. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are taking your calls right now at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So if you thought of making a leap into your dream job or maybe just making a change at work, because Mike, I know some of your the changes in your book are people who've actually made jumps within their company. So it doesn't have to be a massive leap like you've made from from investing to squash. But hey, if you've got a question on this, maybe you've done it. Maybe you're thinking of doing it. Give us a call at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're talking to Mike Lewis of the book When to Jump about when it's time to make that leap and really take hold of your life and, and your dreams. So I want to talk a little bit about this because I love the hope aspect of this book, Mike. And are there certain qualities that make somebody a good jumper? Are there certain ways you can you can kind of know your, your personality or your characteristics that, that you're going to be a successful jumper? Well, this might come as a surprise because I think it is coming to what we hear in pop culture, but I truly believe any any way. So, Mike, and, you're, you broke up just a little bit there. Can you can you just repeat that? Oh, yeah. I said it might sound kind of 
um, <clears throat> paradoxical to what we see in pop culture of only the strong five, and only some people are, have these you know, God-given gifts of courage. But I actually think that that's not true. I think anybody can jump. And I think if you look at the book, we have 44 narratives from every type of person across every background, demographic, income level, education level. Uh, we have folks from first-generation immigrants, high school dropouts, to, to baby boomers who left great careers and entry-level jobs to do of the key characteristics is a sense of showing up and persistence. Because what I found is that there are what I like to call 10,000 unsexy steps that come with doing your jump. And anybody who takes a chance to do what they love is going to experience this head on. So the question is not, are you smart enough to get through or are you um, clever enough to figure out the path? The path's in front of you. The question is, can you show up for every step? And another person we've interviewed uh, on, on the book, actually, is, is the last story in the book, uh, Brandon Finn, the creator of And he said something great, which is, do what you love. And this is to paraphrase. He said, passion wears off after a couple of weeks. After that, it's just hard work. And that's where we lose a lot of people because the messaging in society, like you said, it's very much to work out. That might be true, but it'll take 10,000 unsexy steps. If you look at the book or our community and the folks we have on our podcast, they're talking about you know jumps that have taken months to plan and maybe even years to execute. And it's not to say don't try it. It's just to say, here's the realities. Here's the unsexy steps you'll go through. And for me, anyone who has followed the jump curve, and taking those unsexy steps, win or lose, success or fail, whatever they, they saw as the outcome of their jump was actually irrelevant. The fact that they went through that process, they were thoughtful, they planned, and they did it was a success of its own, and no one came to regret that. Yeah, so I, I think that's a key piece you have to pull out is that these are not overnight successes. These are and, and you have a lot of great quotes from the people who've made jumps in your book about that. Yeah, the passion is there, but then it's really taking a step every single day, every day, every day towards that, even when you're tired and even when the passion dies down. And I there's there's another quote that says you can't just try once. You have to try again and again and again and again and get up every day and do it and recognize that you keep your eye and the prize and you get there. So it's, it's yeah, it's not meant to be easy. And just because it's your passion, it doesn't mean that every moment is going to be exciting or fun or or not hard work. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk, Sirius XM Channel 111. And we're going to go to Jake in Texas. Jake, welcome to the show. It's on your mind today. I love what you guys do. Uh, you know, I, was, I just want to share listening to this makes a lot of sense to me. I retired from a 16-year radio career. I'm in my mid-30s all here in Houston. And uh, last year, and I have a small entertainment company that takes care of our bills. I got into residential real estate, and the reason I decided to do that is because um, I was able to utilize my contacts that I wasn't able to do in radio. So I transitioned slowly, started transitioning before I retired. Um, all my contacts, kind of letting them know I was going to segue. And then when I made the jump, uh, the toughest decision that we made was what insurance are we going to go with when we have our second child? <laughs> it wasn't. Can we make it happen? Um, you know, should we do it? It was just, which insurance should we take? What have you found to be the most difficult thing when people kind of pre-plan like we did? So um, first, I just want to I want to point something out, Jake. One of the things that I love about your story is is that you didn't you, you didn't ask can I should I what I, you're like okay now it's time to do something new so I'm going to make the switch <laughs> and I'm going yeah. to use my contacts and I'm going to make a left turn and here's where I am and I I love that freedom that and I wish everybody would have that freedom to say that you know what I'm climbing up a ladder but maybe maybe it's time to climb up a new ladder and I just need to figure out how to do it but I, I, I'm hoping that that's a takeaway from this show is that we all have that permission we all have that permission to say you know what this has been a great career I've learned a lot and I'm going to take that and I'm going to step into something that really makes sense for me right now so I love that you did that and, and now I'm sorry Jake I forgot your question because I was I was it's, so interested okay. in <laughs> for us I, I'm an entrepreneur by heart and so I just this was making the decision of starting something was easy for me. I have an entertainment company, like I said, but the residential real estate for high end real estate here in Houston is a great market. Um, the hardest decision that we had, we ended up facing was which insurance should we choose? Cause we're going to have a second child. 
um, or at least we plan to, God willing. And so that was our toughest decision. What do you guys see to be the toughest decision for people that are making the transition with a little bit or a lot of planning? Ah, got it. So what is what is I mean, I'm going to I'm going to say this is great. It's like the pre-break quiz, but on me. I'm going to say fear. Like I'm going to say fear is what's going to get in people's way. But Mike, you've interviewed hundreds of people. What do you see as the the biggest obstacle? Yeah, and, and first of all, Jake, that's an that's an awesome story, and congrats and best of luck with your uh, with everything you're doing. I, I think that you know you, you didn't have a problem that I see most people face fear of the unknown. So I think that it's similar to Don. You know, there is fear in a lot of ways. But when you look at probably, you know, your career as a, as a journalist and, and in radio, you know what you're giving up, right? Like you can say, this is my, uh, my, my paycheck. This is my social station. This is what my friends think. This is my pension, maybe my 401k, all of these things. If you're going to go into whether it's high-end residential real estate in Houston or if you're going to go into starting your own entertainment company or both, those things just have so many question marks that the rational pragmatist might say, well, we know what we're giving up on one side of the equation, but we have no idea what these question marks will lead to on, on the end. And of course, as an entrepreneur, you can appreciate this. It's usually a lot better, like even if it's just quality of life, maybe uh, standard of living, maybe it's just peace of mind. You're, you're doing what you love. And the book talks about this, that once you jump, you actually bump into a lot of luck, and we could probably have a longer conversation on what kind of things happened <laughs> when you started your entertainment business and, and went into these other ventures. But you can't see them at, at the edge, right? You can only see the unknown. And I think that's what, what point, you know, most point, most people say, you know, I don't need to do this. I don't need to take the risk. And for some people, that's maybe the right decision, but I, I believe that's somewhat sad because a lot of great things are waiting up for you uh, to allow yourself to be lucky to bump into after you take the job. You just don't see it in that equation, and that's a hard equation to swallow. And I think a lot of people feel like they can't go back. I mean, they feel like like it's it's an all or nothing. And, you know, in some cases it might be hard to go back or maybe you don't want to go back, but there's something else you want to do. And I think making that leap gives you the freedom to see things, as you were saying, Mike, that you, you didn't even see before. So if you know there's a there's discontent and, and you're not satisfied and you think you have an idea about where you want to go, I mean, sometimes it's not the right answer, but you know you don't want to be where you are. So taking that step helps you get to the right answer. As I always say, clarity through action. And, you know, you have to get out of your head. Jake, congratulations on your career. Plus, you've got a great radio voice, by the way. And we really appreciate <laughs> You calling us on Career Talk 844-Wharton-844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We're here with Mike Lewis, author of When to Jump, and we're going to go to Marie in L.A. Marie, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? Oh, sorry, Louisiana. My apologies. <laughs> Hi, yes. I have a question about when to jump. Um, I'm a, my passion my passion is inventing. My passion is creativity, um, writing. And those are things that are, um, I wouldn't mind taking the risk, but in those areas, I need someone else to either give me a license deal or to, um, I need an agent. I need someone to promote the things that I'm doing. So it's not necessarily um, contingent on just me taking the jump, but I need other people to accept what I'm doing and to, to make it lucrative for me. So how do you jump when, it's not just uh, an avenue that you pursue by yourself, but you need other people to accept the things that you're doing. How yeah. do you jump in that area? Great question, Marie. And, and I'd venture to say, Mike, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'd venture to say that whether you're doing squash or you're going to be a firefighter or a painter or a photographer, that that pretty much every career requires people to take a chance on you. So, Marie, you bring up a really useful question in this because because you're right it's it's not just you you're you're trying to get other people to roll the dice on you so mike how how would you answer marie's question it's a really good one well i think that in some ways and i guess i can speak to this because my latest jump was leaving you know the professional tour and wanting to write this book i had sketched a cover page in 2013 and i was told pretty abruptly no by by most people in the book writing world and uh, I'm sure, Don, you can relate to that, uh, or maybe yes, not. I can. Maybe yes, I can. Yes, I can. There's a lot of no's to get to yes. Yeah, right. and, and it's interesting. I, I, I had a woman, who's, we have a podcast that comes out uh, once a week on Tuesdays, and a woman who's coming on the When to Jump podcast next week 
or maybe a couple weeks, is a woman who uh, makes music. She's a singer-songwriter. And her tips was actually to say, you know what, it's really hard to say I'm going to become a Beyonce uh, because it's really hard to go from zero to Beyonce. And you need a lot of people to support you and where that kind of path will lead you and what will happen that, you know, break for you for that to happen. What she did before she quit her job, she started to make music on the side and see where she could get a token. And I think that's the same thing for me. When I was when I was writing, I actually didn't make a book first. I started with a blog. I did a personal blog. Then I made a went to jump blog. Then I made a kind of a social media channel, et cetera, et cetera. And what this did was it showed potential agents and producers and publishers my vision to say, hey, here's a little bit, here's a snapshot of what I see as this you know, platform that will be based you know, today on wentojump.com but at the time was really just a blog and a social media handle. And you can do that without anybody's help. You don't need to get permission from people. And so while it is tough to, uh, to say, oh, geez, you know, I'm ready to take the risk, but I need someone at a publishing house or a record label to take a risk on me, uh, you can do a lot to put your cards in a row to set yourself up mm-hmm. to get some of these people to take a chance on you. And for the woman who came on our podcast, in her case, she actually started doing music for commercials and built a really nice kind of set of compositions for McDonald's and for Toyota and Toys R Us and all these different brands. And that got her on the map where she started to get interviews with other, you know, larger studios. But it started with very, very small steps. And for me, it was a blog that I showed to a friend who had a friend at a publishing house. And the publisher knew an agent who had also jumped 30 years ago to start her agency. And she took a chance on me off of the blog. So I would say get started in the smallest way and then start meeting as many people as you can who can introduce you to some folks who'll take a chance on you. Yeah, and the beauty of that, Marie, is that is that we live in a time where where social media and there's so many apps and platforms to put your work out there, which wasn't the case two decades ago. It was a very different field. So now we all have the ability, you talked about marketing, we all have the ability to market ourselves in a way that just wasn't available. And and some of those things you may want to learn on your own. I mean, that could be a good a good stepping stone as well as learn how these platforms can be used to to promote your work so that you're you're getting a jump start on that as well while you're you're still in your current job. But I, I love that advice. I think that I think there's two things I want to pull out of that, Mike. I mean, one is it's steps. It's step, 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 because you're not going to go from, as you mentioned, <laughs> zero to Beyonce. But the other thing is, is networking. And I, and I want to talk about this more after the break, Mike, because I feel like the people you meet and the people who you start to build support from and help and then can come back and help you. I mean, I think the network is a key part of that as well, which Jake, our earlier caller, talked about, too, is building his contacts from the radio show that helped him get to his next career. So, Marie, another piece of advice we have for you is, is to definitely engage your network. Talk to your talk to your um your people and have them help promote you as well. So thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. We're taking your calls all hour at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. But now we're going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz. The average worker spends six hours on this at work during the month of March. The average worker spends six hours on this at work during the month of March. Think you know, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We're on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School Series Exam, Channel 111, Dream Team in Studio, Michelle and Dion. Take your calls right now, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Dr. Don Graham. There you go. There's some good branding. Um, And we're here with Mike Lewis, who is the author of When to Jump. And Mike, so you've kind of built a a little empire around the When to Jump, and we're talking all about how people can make the leap. But the coolest thing is, is that 
you've created a system where people can get support if they're ready to make a career switch. So tell our listeners a little bit about how they can find out more about you and when to jump. The the book was intended to be an anchor to a broader platform. So it started out as a blog, and today uh, we are centered on whentojump.com. That's just our name, whentojump.com. You can sign up for the newsletter when you get to the site. We put out kind of our thoughts and ideas and happenings from around our community that's now growing uh, quite substantially globally in the newsletter around once or twice a month, so nothing too crazy. And uh, I think that's the best starting point is going to whentojump.com, signing up for the newsletter. And then if you like you know, shows like this, we host a show similarly, and I would love to have actually Don, you come on at some point, uh, which is the When to Jump podcast. And those are, uh, like I said, episodes that come out once a week on Tuesdays. You can search in the Apple Store or anything while you're at, just uh, When to Jump. And we have 30-minute unscripted informal conversations with folks like Ariana Huffington and Cheryl Sandberg, but also everyday people like uh, me and you and, and, and others who are taking risks and making jumps and really getting into the how and the tactics around, you know, what you can do to make that jump successful. Um, and then the, the last piece, uh, besides the newsletter off of whentojump.com and, and the When to Jump podcast, would be that we're actually starting just this last week a learning program online. So we took uh, applications. We ended up receiving twice as many as we, we thought we'd get, which is tremendous. And we have uh, 20 accepted candidates from around the world who are taking an online learning program over the next four weeks. And crucially, they're connecting with each other. They're getting uh, assigned homework assignments and worksheets, uh, reading quizzes, things to watch and listen and read each week. Uh, But the idea is to put people together who want to do a jump, but not necessarily do it alone. So we just started out. You can read about it on our website, which is wendajump.com. And for those in the Northeast, we're actually taking our our community festival. Man, you're a busy man, Mike. Like, so you're a busy man. Like, yeah. And that's, <laughs> and, and that's a wrap to our show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I mean, that's it. It's a lot going on is, is a short answer. I mean, the the awesome part is, is that this is we were talking about this before the break, Mike, is that this is um, this can be a scary thing. I mean, and you had talked about the, And I, I love talking about neuroscience, but we know the brain is designed to help keep us safe, which means minimizing our risks and it's built for survival. But your book is all about thriving and, and, and kind of getting beyond that and taking calculated risks. But yet this is a big risk to to walk away from what societally may be ingrained into you. So I want to talk. Um, just you know, for a minute about fear and luck, which are two words that came up before the break, and I think are two words that are really a big part of making a switch. Um, and hey, if you have made a switch, have a question about making a switch, or just want to know if it's time for you to jump, eight four four Warden eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So, how do you get beyond that fear? Because this is definitely a mindset thing, and I know planning can help, and having savings can help. But there is still that inherent biological part of your brain that's saying you are crazy. <laughs> was that a question to me? I didn't know if that was a question to the audience. I was going to wait to see who came in. <laughs> that is a question for you, Mike. Well, I think the answer in my mind is you, you got to draft up the worst possible scenario. So there's always going to be a fear element. There's always going to be wondering what luck you'll run into. But before I went to go play pro squash, I literally wrote down, Don, here is what the worst situation looks like if it were to come true i would leave home quit my job not be welcomed back break my ankle or sprain it badly across the world in new zealand which is where i ended up i wouldn't enjoy being on the tour i'd be lonely i'd come back and i'd sit in my parents basement and have to apply for a new job with kind of a crazy frustrating but but possibly funny story to tell of what happened when i tried to do something i really liked now that seems bad but then I thought of the alternative, which was doing nothing. And like most of the folks I've interviewed and researched for this project and for this book, that felt more terrifying. The idea that I would go to work every day, I would plan and think about something I really wanted to do, and I'm sure the listeners on the show can relate, but then not do it. You know, year after year and, and, and kind of getting older and, and looking back on my life and not having tried felt more terrifying 
than than going for it and the worst possible scenario happening. So it's when that balance tips when it when the 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 thought of regret tips to overcome that fear. And there's actually a lot of statistics on that, Mike, about the fact that that regret cuts deeper than failure or the perceived failure. So doing it and realizing that worst case scenario is probably not going to come true. But even having a plan, if it did come true, that you would land on your feet and having confidence about that is is something that helps you get over the fear. So I love that. So decide what is the worst case scenario, have a plan for that, and then think about yourself maybe 10 years from now. And what happens if you don't do it? What What is going yeah. through your mind then? There's a, there's a great quote that I, I mentioned in the beginning of the book from Jeff Bezos, founder CEO of Amazon, that he gave at a Princeton uh, graduating uh, commencement address in 2010. And he basically ends the, the speech by saying this quote, to paraphrase, he says, you know, when you're 80 years old and you have a quiet moment of reflection on some idle Tuesday afternoon and you look back on your life, what stories will you be most proud of? And I, I pasted that quote in size 50 font on you know, excess printer paper all over my office for years before I jumped. Because I think when you, when you consider a jump in those aspects of what stories will make your life most meaningful and what we'd be most proud of, you know, that, that to me changes the equation a bit. You don't think in dollars and cents and resume lines. You think of what will I be most proud of when I think of my, my whole body of work my whole life. And like you said earlier, Don, you, you get one life to live. And that's what ultimately compelled me to jump, which is there's going to be unknowns. Hopefully I bump into luck, but I would I would regret not trying. And I think that's a huge piece of this. So I want to talk about luck, too, because are, are you a believer of, of um, you know, you make your own luck? I mean, what is your philosophy on how luck factors into the success of a jump, Mike? So I believe that, and the jump curve talks about this in the book, if the first phases of taking a jump are what we talked about, listen to the little voice, then make a plan, and finally, you know, what I call let yourself be lucky. And this was actually from an interview with the finance author, Michael Lewis, who wrote Liar's Poker and Moneyball, and he talks about how if you look for luck, if you look for coins on the ground or a penny in a car seat, you'll end up finding it. You just have to be open to seeing it. You have to put yourself in positions where you might bump into that luck and find that penny on the ground. And he was interviewed in the book in this section, and I think that is the most critical part that people don't get, which is that when you say, wow, I got lucky, or how fortuitous was this, there might be some luck involved. But because you've planned, you've met the right people, you've put in the work to, to align yourself with a goal, when you ultimately go chase that goal, you're going to come into experiences, to introductions, to opportunities that will look lucky, but you've actually put in place by doing the legwork before. So I think luck is a part of it, but you can create your own luck. And that's what I've seen in in every jumper that that I've encountered and researched. And you're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Grammer, here with Mike Lewis of the book When to Jump. And we're going to answer our pre-break quiz. So the average worker spends six hours on this at work during the month of March. And I'm going to Dion, who made me laugh during the break uh, yeah, with um, his answer. <laughs> I'm just going to hit it now. <laughs> so, it, look, sometimes when you ask the question, I have a, like a, a, a just a very quick thought mm-hmm. that pops in my head. Mm-hmm. It's usually wrong, but I usually go with it because it could be right. Yeah, but as a psychologist, I'm always so interested where these these thoughts pop from. Yeah, it's a deep, dark place. Especially today's. <laughs> especially today's, Dion. Okay, look. My, my answer was the toilet. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. Now, the thought process, it's March. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. eating a lot, watching, you know, college basketball. Uh-huh. You know, something else. <laughs> mm. <laughs> look, it's the first thing that popped in my head. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to follow the logic. <laughs> it's I don't it's good wa- logic. I don't watch basketball, but does that? There are other sports. Okay. Professional basketball. I think hockey's on. Yes, it is. Um, uh, the um, uh, baseballs starting up with spring training. I think. Right, but I'm not a lot I'm, of sports and I'm, food. 
Oh, okay. See, so, yeah, so you oh, eat okay. more food while you're watching sports. I'm probably like... This isn't going well. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the reason I think this is interesting is because I think there's another pre-break quiz question where I asked, you know, or I said men use use less of this than women. And the answer was words, but your answer was toilet paper. But I was right. Well, uh, that is probably true. <laughs> but it was just interesting to me where your mind goes, Dion. It's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fascinating. I, I I don't know. Okay. <laughs> that that is not the right answer. Although, Michelle, do you have anything wait, better? Wait, I I can't I can't verify that the, that it's not true though, Dion. So I'll just leave it at that. See, you my answers be right. could be right. That's the thing about my answers. They may not be the answers to your it questions specifically, but they could be right. And I think usually they are. And I'll, I'm just gonna say this, Dion. You have like a cult following. You have a cult <laughs> following that's that kind of started with my mom, but now is on LinkedIn. That people tune into Hi, this show for, for the sheer fact of of listening to your pre-break quiz answer. But again, <laughs> if you wear pants, it's better to wear pants to your job interview. No, it was. That's that's it's very a right true. answer. It may not be the answer you had. It's true. But it was the right answer. It's true. <laughs> I yep, that is very true. And so you're you're yeah. All right. Um so I think should we should we yeah <laughs> should we move on yes should we move on do do you have an answer Mike do you do you have an answer to the pre break quiz what do people spend more time or six hours on I mean I just want to meet Dion yeah That's I know I know he's he's the coolest guy he really is every um, answer that you just discussed I wasn't I have to get up to speed on the pants answer but it's the, the the toilet paper I don't know I mean that. Crazy enough to be right. Let me let me tell you the the question to that, Mike. The question was: <laughs> Why do you still know these questions? Be, because your answers <laughs> stick with me, Dion. I think the question was: um, You should wear this to an interview, and it will well, you know, will help you get hired. And Dion's answer was pants. No, I think it was what uh, do women? Wasn't it like if women wear this or something? Yeah. If what. No, I think it was more general. I mean, pants. It's just <laughs> the answer was pants. Yeah, the it answer was, was something about what women do more than men or something. But the answer was not pants. No, because should have been. Men have to wear pants, so it's not an option. It, it was well, just, what, what was the answer to to that question? I think that question yeah. was creative socks, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. colorful socks. Colorful yeah. socks. So you know, oh, I like pants. I I do a pants with Dion for sure. Yeah, See? I mean, we we definitely recommend that you wear pants <laughs> with your colorful socks. Like we were not advocating for not wearing pants, but that just just uh, wasn't the answer. So, so should should we yeah. go to a listener? Should we go to? Uh, let's try it. Yeah, all right. Let's go to let's go to uh, Johnny in Texas. Johnny, what's your answer? All right. So I think Dion overanalyzed it. And we <laughs> just a different. Time, that could be the, the case. I think he clearly mentioned the answer, March Madness. He did. He did mention the answer. So we we keep saying Johnny that we need to come up with like a, something between a buzz and a ding because Dion always kind of gets the answer in some form or fashion. So we need to we need yeah. to come up with a noise. But yeah, ha- your first commercial out of that pre-break quiz was about March Madness even more. So I was like, that's got to be the answer. Mm-hmm. Yep, it is the answer. Wow. So, yeah, so basically this is a study done by Office Team, which is a Robert Half company. So employees spend about 25.5 minutes per workday on activities related to the basketball playoffs, checking game scores, team rankings. So, Dion, are you doing this? No. <laughs> this is why that wasn't my answer. That wasn't your answer. So, okay. Well, all right. Are you doing this at work, Johnny? No. No. No, definitely no. not. I got kids, babies, yeah. events, too much. No. Yeah, and I, I'm not even going to ask you if you're doing Dion's answer because we're just going to let that go. Into... No, but I do have nice socks on, so I like that. There, there you go. go. <laughs> there you go. And probably pants, but let's not go there. So thank you so much for giving us a call, Johnny. Congrats on getting the answer right. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. Um, and we are here with Mike Lewis, author of When to Jump. So we're going to go to David in New York. David, welcome to the show. It's on your mind today. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. I love your program. Thank and you. And I was listening to... Uh, yeah, listening to Mike as far as uh, writing the book and when to jump. Uh, just a quick background is that um, I I jumped a few times, <laughs> and but as I gotten older and I have a, a great career, but I really have a passion um, for wine, and I'm trying to figure out how to monetize it. 
But secondly, I'm now, but I've jumped three times over a period of three, uh, about three and a half decades. And now, awesome. being in my 60s, um, ready to follow uh, that passion. And I was wondering, with age being a factor, is age a factor as far as, you know, following um, that dream from a financial or practical standpoint? Yes. Well, first off, um, David, I want to say that we all share your passion in wine. Um, so we're very supportive of your your jump into that. But um, Mike, I know you've uh, you talked about in your book all different levels and backgrounds and stuff. So um, as we're we're kind of closing down, what is the the quick answer for David? Does does age have a factor in the the decision to leap? No, you know, I, I don't think so. And, and I applaud you for for preparing to jump. Uh, in a new career, you know, after you've had a career or two, three, it sounds like. Uh, in the book, we feature a woman who's from North Miami Beach who jumped in her late 60s, and that was something she had always wanted to do and made that happen. Uh, and and even on our in our learning program, most of the adults uh, who are who are participating have had a career or two and are are looking to to take that leap and and do something totally different. So I would not let that into your mind that age is an issue. In fact, I think it's actually a benefit because you've got experience, you've got maybe some savings, you know what the world is like, and, and you can kind of hone in on what that jump is. So I'd say go for it and, and just think about if you like working with wine, what what angle do you want to go into? Is it is it serving wine? Is it is it making wine? Is it getting on a, on a vineyard? Uh, is it retail? All those different things. What, what is it, David? What's your, what's your angle with wine? Yeah, so... My angle has been to um, start an exchange where people can find uh, the types of wines that they want, regardless of where they come from, whether it's Italy or France or um, even some of the more unknown um, areas of the world, like Hungary, that uh, produce wine. And because it's always, you know, I find that a lot of the wine um, clubs or exchanges, if you will, you know, they cater to, uh, you know, people that don't necessarily know what they like, and they drop in and out of wine clubs, you know, trying to find the, um, the perfect wine uh, for them. And I want to do something much simpler than that, um, teaching people about their palate and then going with, with, with that as opposed to just any genre of, of, or varietal of the grape. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome, David, and we wish you all the best. And I, I think you're, uh, I think the fact that you've made a couple of successful jumps is is one of the things that's going to give you the motivation and drive and know how and network to be able to make this next jump. So thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. We are on Sirius XM Channel 111, and we have run out of time, but lots of great things in this hour about overcoming fear, taking control of your career, and really getting out there and creating the life you want. And if you want to learn more about how to do that and hear stories of other people who've done that, you should get Mike Lewis's book, When to Jump, and also go to his website where he has a lot of support for those who are interested in making the leap. Mike, thank you so much for being on the show the last hour. We learned so much. We enjoyed having you here. Michelle and Dion, you guys make me laugh every week. I love working with you. And of course, to all our callers and listeners, we show up for you here every week week so listen to us on career talk and check out the podcast at dr dawn on careers in case you missed an episode you've been listening to sirius xm channel 111 we'll see you next time 